for joining us. The Society 2045 Freight Talks are interviews with people from around the world seeking to create a new structure through their social movements. We aim to bring together disparate movements from across various disciplines to help co-create a broader and more cohesive vision for the year 2045. We have a vision, but we'd like to know what yours is. Today, we'll be talking with Dunia Reverter. She has a very broad background, including experience with helping companies transform to what's popularly called self-management. She's also a co-founder of Crisos, which is all about transformation and unlocking human potential. Dunia, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us what a little bit about yourself? All right. So um, as you know from already from our uh, when I joined the call, I have a quite a diverse background and I've been uh, I've traveled all over the world. I'm from Spain. Uh, but uh, we went to the Dominican Republic when I was a teenager, and then I studied in the States. I uh, studied engineering in Massachusetts, and then, um, and then I moved to McAllen, Texas, and I was working in a maquiladora in Mexico, so actually commuting to Mexico um, every day. Um, so that was kind of my, my origins. And then uh, moved back to Spain and started working for General Electric, in, in Spain and, um, and did most of my career in General Electric and I loved it. I thought the world was great. There was nothing wrong with anything and I was in the best company ever. So I did very well until I got pregnant <laughs> and, then, and then things started to not work so well anymore. Um, and I'd say that was the beginning of the glimpse that maybe something needs to change here. Um, I, um, I stopped working for General Electric um, a few years later, also tied with the, uh, with the economic crisis. I was working for one of the financial uh, sectors. Um, I was the COO of a consumer lending division in Portugal. And, um, and then decided, uh, because I was a bit disillusioned with the corporate world and all the politics and that come up when you start um, going up in the ranks, um, I decided to become a freelancer. And when we moved to London, I was working still in programs that had to do a lot with transformation um, and change uh, for large banks uh, like Lloyds Bank or, or Aviva. Uh, but I, was, I felt that I was a bit freer. And it's not true. I mean, you're still mixed in, in all the politics that go on in uh, organizations like that. Um, and in London, I started meditating and doing yoga, and somehow that, that started to open me up, right? And, um, and I said, okay, there's clearly there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something wrong with the world, but I have no clue what it is. And also I have no clue what it is that I want or that I could do to support this, right? So I kind of need to figure this out. Uh, so one of my New Year's resolution was I'm going to read a lot to try to figure this out, right? If I had to support somebody, who would it be? Yeah. Um, so, and I started reading and actually I haven't stopped. It's crazy. I used to read a lot of novels and science fiction. And since that moment, I've started getting into like really heavy <laughs> stuff because um, I feel like I have this urge to kind of understand, right? Where, where are we going and where do we need to go? So it's quite interesting that you guys invited me to, to this talk. Um, and actually very early, I was telling Matt in our prior conversation, I came up with like three major things that are wrong, right? Clearly it's psychopaths, number one, you know, they are destroying us and we're letting them destroy us, right? Like we're creating structures that are food for them. So how do we change this, right? It's, um, it was about the feminine energy. Something is not in balance here. So we need to restore this feminine energy. And also about going back to realizing that we are one, right? That we are a lot more connected than what we think we are. We act as individuals, but we are not really so interconnected, right? So those were my, my like, first three reflections that came quite quickly, right? When I was in this like uh, moment of reading and they, they're still, hold true, you know, I feel like I've evolved a lot uh, personally um, through this journey, but some of these uh, early thoughts uh, are still there. Um, so, so I started this quest and I started to, um, 
tried to kind of allocate some time to kind of figuring out what my purpose is, you know, what, what I was here to do. And that's when I read Frederick Laloux, which was, which had the same effect in me as in many other people. What a powerful book, because it just kind of put it all so clearly and articulated so clearly what I felt, but you know, I almost thought it was utopia, right? And it's so inspiring that book because not only it articulates it very clearly, but um, it shows you how it's possible. It gives you like actual examples of organizations that are doing it, right? And for me, it was very exciting because everything I've done in my life has to do with change, uh, transformation, organizational change, projects, implementations. So, um, so this is great. I knew, I mean, I was in my element because what we need to do is change, but change to a new paradigm. So that was clear. Okay, I'm not gonna, no longer going to do change that is just marginal change to make us think that it's still okay the way things are because it's not. We need to change the paradigm. So I'm not interested in gradual patches, like little patches that just hide the bad situation we're in, right? We need to actually change the paradigm on the way we operate. We need a new operating system. And, uh, and uh, of course, I... Uh, stopped being a freelancer for banks <laughs> and um, and I joined this boutique consultancy that did a lot of work on cultural um, change in organizations uh, but still it was not the radical change I was looking for you know there were I learned about coaching and facilitation which is really useful because I think it's skills uh, that will be very valuable in the future uh, all our future leaders need to do the, those sort of things but uh, they were still operating in the current uh, paradigm. So, um, so I formed a group called Gincho. Uh, and we, we just, I just called a bunch of people from all over the world that I thought would resonate with this idea uh, of, of teal organizations. And we all met in my house in Portugal. I was living in London at the time, but we had this empty house in Portugal. So we all met there, 13 people from all over the world. Um, and we decided to create this, company called Gincho to buy them and transform them. And we had, it was so magical, this meeting. We had never uh, worked together. Well, some of them I had worked with, but, and some people were meeting for the first time there, but we had such a deep connection, right? Um, we never managed to buy companies and transform them <laughs> at that time, <laughs> but we are in chapter two of that uh, quest or uh, mission uh, now. Um, but, uh, but we did train a lot on what it is to operate in a self-managed way. We were all, all over the world and we would meet every two, three months. Um, and we practiced a lot on ourselves. We went through courses and trainings like sociocracy, liberating structure. We met the, um, the writers of liberating structure and at one of their houses with Henry at his house in the South of France, uh, he hosted us. And we practiced liberating structures with him. And we also had our you know, um, uh, meetings. Uh, uh, we, we also uh, uh, did tough leadership training with uh, Karen, who was part of the, the group. Um, we did sociocracy 3.0 training with Hugo, another member who was also part of the group. So we, we, I, I, I felt like we learned and unlearned a lot. And it was actually quite necessary because we wouldn't have been able to do anything beforehand. <laughs> we were not ready. We were not even ready personally, right? So, and it was nice because we also lived the, the, the dysfunctions of self-management if you don't know how to implement it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was very useful. Uh, we at one point decided in our last meetup in Sintra in Portugal that, okay, let's bury it. We love each other. We're gonna keep on seeing each other. We formed amazing bonds, but we are not buying companies, right? So what? <laughs> let's just kind of assume it. And either we use this community just for like a, what it is, like a community of practice, or 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 we dissolve it. You know, what do we do with it? And that's when we learned uh, through the corporate rebels about K2K. So we actually held a, a conference call with them uh, from Portugal. And the next month I was in Bilbao uh, meeting Frederic Laloux. So I have uh, a book signed by him and a photograph, <laughs> like a good groupie I am. Um, and, um, and 
uh, I love that. I mean, I love what they do, the track record they have on this sort of transformations. I was really excited actually that you do not need to buy them to transform them, right? There are people out there that are willing to, to take this leap, right? Amazing. So- um, I have a question for you, because I wonder about this myself. So given everything you said about your experience and how we led you to Kids K and, and all that stuff, um, why aren't they more known? Why aren't they more popular, do you think? I don't think they were interested. Uh, I don't think, if like, I think, you know, they were happy with being in the Basque country, <laughs> doing what they do. Uh, some of them have the need and the urge to scale this up, but it, I don't think it's even like a, a a consensus across K2K that, you know, like they have that calling. I have this calling of, you know, we need to scale it. This needs to become contagious. How do we make it contagious? I don't, I'm not sure that K2K as a group uh, has that same calling. They started to realize that they needed to be out there more because this was too valuable to get wasted. And this is when they started to do the seminars. But up to then, they hadn't been doing it that much. I'd also say that um, their success also has to do because Koldo is a very well-known uh, entrepreneur in the Basque country, very well respected, and automatically an owner will trust him. Will trust him with his Koldo. Koldo is the founder of K2K. Of K2K. And and uh, Dunia says he's very well known in in the Basque country. He's actually well known in Spain because he turned this big company yeah. around by moving it to self-management, basically. So go ahead. So, so that credibility, you know, um, is very helpful uh, when it comes to owners that are making this leap, right? An owner in distress contacts him and says, help me, Koldo, you know how to do this. And Koldo says, okay, but this, this, like treat me as the doctor and this is the medicine you need to take and you need to go away and you need to let me do what I need to do and give me your company for a while and I'll fix it, okay? Uh, and they say, okay, okay. <laughs> but that's like that's not easy to do, you know, everywhere else, right? <laughs> Where you're not well known like that. Uh, so, and this brings me back to to the fact that we need to buy them to transform them, <laughs> because you know it's great when there's owners that are willing to do to make this leap, and then they need uh, companies like K2K to help them uh, doing that. But there's not that many yet, and right. I don't think we can afford the time to wait for these people to be ready for this. You know, I think we need to find ways to accelerate. Uh, so this, this is where, where Criso is coming to the, into your Yes, hand. so the, the idea came back. The idea of buying companies to transform them came back. Now I have the <clears throat> experience on ha of having done transformations like this. I've learned a lot, thank God, right? It's great because now I think, uh, I'm better prepared to um, to structure this, but we need to 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 find a way to make it scalable, right? So right now the idea is okay. So let's uh, now we're going to start with three because we are three transformers: Javi, Xavier, another Xavier. I would have been Javier if I was a boy, so I guess that's why I'm also there. So the three of us who will be transforming a company each. So we want to buy three companies for each of us. But then the idea is that the next round, we're going to do, each of us are going to do three. Uh, so we need to find people like us to mentor them to, to do their first transformation with our guidance. And then the idea is that it replicates like that. So the first challenge is going to be for us to get this process ready to find companies that we can buy you know, get good at that. And then it's going to be to find transformers and, and help them train them uh, okay. so that they can do that, right? You're still, you're now at the stage where you have a company and um, you're raising a fund to go find companies. Correct. That are ready, ready to sell, uh, not in two strata as a position. And, um, and then you can, you can be the owner, if you will. Right. Uh, they need to be in a bit of a crisis. What, so what about the employees? What, you know? The, uh, same, are, same principles apply. I mean, we're not going to do this if the people in the organization don't want it. Okay. There, that makes no sense. 
So, so even the due diligence process is going to be tricky because we will need to make sure that the organization wants it. We cannot do it. Doesn't work. If the people in it don't want it, it doesn't work. Exactly. So, so uh, and the company, and I say that this is important that the company needs to be in a bit of a crisis because you don't do this. Um, such a profound change if there's not a need, right? And this, and this brings me now to your reflections of, you know, 2045. I think we need a big crisis, which I think we're getting into, <laughs> but it needs to get, get quite ugly before it gets nice. I don't know if in 2045 will be nice already. Around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the... the um... But, but you make a good point that there's two kinds of crisis. There's a big like climate crisis and, and, and just the fact that the system is so screwed up um, that it's going to kill us one way or the other. And then there's but a few crisis. Few people feel this. Few, few people feel that. And that's the thing. It's the other crisis, the one that you feel because yeah. it's stepping on your shoe. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to find those companies um, that people have enough of a vision to say, yeah, let's try something else and, and, um, and all that. So when, um, when do you think you launch the, the first company? We, do you have any, any kind of a plan of, of what's going to happen? Yes, yes. So I mean, we, we've uh, created the company already. Um, so again, as I was saying, we have three, there's three transformers. We have then a lawyer. And then the corporate rebels are also our partners. They've just joined us as well. And uh, we, uh, we want in the next 18 months to, to find the three companies. It might take us a bit longer. So at least the first one, you know, those uh, buying processes, you, they can be quite unpredictable. But the objective is uh, in the next three years to start at least the transformation of the first one. And that's perfect because we've come to the half hour since we started. And so I'm going to open it up to. And there's to, a question already. <laughs> to, to everybody in the, in the group. And um, you know, we'll still try to finish by the hour, but um, uh, Kim, go ahead. I want, to, I want to know who your lawyer is because I train teal lawyers. That's what I do. And um, and so, if you have a lawyer already, um, yes. I want I want to connect with them and make sure okay. that they that they understand Teal because most of the time lawyers are an impediment to actually yeah. doing things in a Teal way because the the old system is so strong. And so, yes. um, yeah, if if you want to be in touch, I I have I have European lawyers. I, I've trained a lot of lawyers. Great. Do you know Patrick Andrews? He, he, he's my dear friend. He was in yes. Gincho. He was in yes. Gincho with us. Yes, yes. I was he's with Patrick Andrews at the, at the Liberating Structures with Henry Lipanovich yes. in, in the south of France. He was there. Yeah, yeah. He and, came to and, my house many times for our Gincho meetings. <laughs> many of the lawyers I work with went to see uh, Frederick and Bill Bell. I, 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 uh -huh. I know when he was there because the, the, oh, okay. the lawyers I work with. Went. Great, great. Uh, and definitely, I, that's a great idea, and and it, it is a good point. Yeah, I mean, our lawyer is probably the one that knows the least about Teal. He 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 is a, a impact lawyer, so it's, he's not it's not totally foreigners for him. So he has a nice a nice mix of having M and A experience and also companies in distress sort of experience, but also. Um, um in social impact uh so so yeah definitely and he'd love that yeah, you and yeah, you can kim, just contact patrick too okay yeah yeah kim <laughs> would be a good resource for you in terms of she knows a lot of people <laughs> okay <laughs> All we are also and uh <laughs> she it's a long story but but she she could be a great resource if you need to help her great that's excellent. We're also in conversations with Purpose, this German group. Um, yeah, because uh, we like a lot the steward model. I mean, one of the things here is how do you make it sustainable, right? So we do the transformation. They, they are left alone, let's say, 
but we want to make sure it's sustainable. And even the whole model, you know, if we sell the company, of course, we're not looking to speculate a lot with the sale. Um, if we do do that, um, ideally, it's to themselves, but not always they want it. Yeah. So, uh, but if we do do that in whichever way we do it, how do we ensure the sustainability of what we've created? Right. So we're thinking of adopting the, uh, the steward ownership model with that golden share and creating a foundation, et cetera. But it would be great to, to chat with you about it. Hey, Mark, you had a question? Yes. Um, start with the question, can you start with a startup instead of an existing company? I mean, in, in, instead of an established company, and would you like to start a disruptive operation to scale globally and end fossil fuels by 2030 and create sustainable economies within industrial ecosystems? Okay, I understood the first part of the question. What was the second one? Would you like to start a disruptive operation? Well, I was thinking, you know, because it's an existing company, but we're not, we don't want to sell it necessarily, to, although it could be possible with you guys, to scale globally and end fossil fuels by 2030 and create sustainable economies with industrial ecosystems along the way. It sounds amazing. That, that, that helps the... <laughs> The industrial ecosystem is what makes yes. it possible for that company that you buy and sell to the owners to have the sustainability. It's the industrial yeah. ecosystem that creates the sustainability. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I'd love to hear more about that second idea. On the first one, I mean, our track record is on transformations. I think there's room for start, like in this change, there's so many things that need to be done, right? In all fronts. Personally, my calling is transformations. Okay, Ken, you, you had a question? Uh, yes, thanks. Um, I'm curious, uh, what's your criteria? What sort of companies are you looking at? Are you looking at specific sectors, looking at specific size companies? Okay. Um, you, you know, when you say you want to yeah. buy companies, what kind of companies? Yeah, we want to start with things that we have a lot of track record on. So we're looking at, and that are, are going to be straightforward, you know, very little risk on the transformation front, right? So. Um, so we're thinking 40 to 100 employees is the right size, which means about between 5 to 10 million revenues um, from break even to max uh, half a million of EBITDA. Um, they have to be in a bit of a crisis or struggle, but not terminal. And the, you know, the sector doesn't really matter. We have a lot of experience in many sectors and we could start lift, uh, listing down kind of the sectors that we have track record if anybody needed that assurance. But actually, if there are people, it works. Uh, what, what, what we do know works best is when the labor costs are a big part of the uh, overall cost, right? Uh, so uh, because we turn them more productive, right? By, by turning the management layer into a productive layer because they no longer are bosses, they no longer need to control and waste their time doing that, uh, we turn the organizations productive. So that there's enough critical mass, so minimum 40 employees ensures that because there's already a layer of management managers uh, and that the weight of salaries are, are significant um, is also a key for success. And that's, that's all we need. So software, software companies fit that profile of, uh, yeah. it, it's all salaries. I mean, yeah. the capital investment is buying a computer. Uh, Tulio, did you have a question? Yeah, I do. I'm curious, uh, curious about the role of the company. Is it going to be a holding company, a private equity kind of structure? What's the role of the buying company? Right now, we've just created a limited company, right? and it's five partners, um, we will, uh, and we will be managing the, the, the companies, right? So we'll be, uh, I mean, the legal structure might get a bit more complicated as we grow. Uh, of course, we'll create holding companies for each, each of the, each of the targets will have a kind of a company as well that we'll set up. And then um, we'll create a foundation uh, uh, as well. So we're a hybrid. <laughs> we're not exactly a private equity. Yeah, I'm just curious because we've talked a great deal in the past about 
what happens when you uh, create co-managed or self-managed organization, but the ownership is still one or two people that own the structure. Yeah. The fate of those people sits in the hands of these individuals instead of them sitting in the hands of all the participants. So just curious yeah. about what's the end goal that the, uh, the end goal that has eventually to be, recreate what's already yeah, what was exactly the you don't want another tyrant right so right. the end goal it has exactly. to be either that the employees own it or that the foundation owns it okay that's, Not that. got it interesting thank you so or, or the way i see it is is they'll discover co-ownership at one point um so um anybody else has any kimberly do you have any any questions or anything? I'm just so thrilled that you're doing this work because I have become rather cynical and giving up hope a little bit no. because I've been trying to convince investors for years. Why don't you not invest in companies unless they agree to adopt practical, common sense leadership and team effectiveness and organizational culture and project management practices? And, and oftentimes they have no interest at all. They know, oh, no, we, we, we invest in people we trust and then we trust them. And I'm like, that's like trusting a fish to climb a tree because, you know, they're going to fail for completely predictable and largely avoidable reasons. So bravo to you for you what you and your team are doing. Yay. Woohoo. And by the way, Kimberly's another person that can be a great resource. She uh, you, you saw a little bit of the energy this that she brings to everything she does. And uh, she has lots of experience working in Japan, which is a really hard. I mean, I can't think, even think of that. But anyways, um, so I would I would say uh, reach out to her. Right. So. You need to pass me all the contacts afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will send you all that stuff. I have another question which I asked you in when we when we talked, which is obviously what you're trying to do is make it scalable. I mean, you, it, it's, it's first three and then nine, then whatever three uh, nine to a third is and all that. And um, now K2K at one point was taking over the company. See, they were becoming the general manager, or whatever it's called in Europe. Uh, and then they backed off to be more of a consultant that comes in two, two days a week because they were getting too involved in the company. And, and um, so how do you avoid those kinds of issues that you get so involved in saving the company that everything else falls by the wayside? And, that, and I'm exaggerating, obviously, but how, how do you how do you yeah uh yeah you need to like the the role of whoever's holding the space who is transforming is actually quite critical at the beginning and you need to know kind of when you need to be because there's relations there's crisis there's so you want to make sure things don't get out of control but you cannot be there too much or otherwise your mom or dad right uh, so so normally there's a lot like the, our presence is very intense at the beginning uh, but then as soon as the new design of the organization and the new rhythm of meetings because we introduce a lot of structure right to 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 get rid of hierarchy you need to bring something for people to cling on to so a lot of structure in terms of meetings and the, what is the objective and the purpose of each of the meetings and how are those meetings, how do they take place, et cetera, right? So um, once that rhythm, it's there, once people are trained on how to make decisions around here, uh, you know, how do the dashboards look, what do they tell us, et cetera, then, um, then you just need to participate in the specific forums and every now and then go around, but then try to really force yourself to not be there. <laughs> and they'll ask you to be there and you say, no, 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 I can't. <laughs> because they need, to, they need to do it. So at the beginning is very intense. And then as soon as the, the new rhythm and the new structure is kicked off, um, you start to reduce intensity. Uh, so you go from being maybe full time or or four times a week, uh, four days a week, uh, 
to one or two days uh, to almost less than that. I mean, I'm, right now I'm, I'm managing one in, in the Dominican Republic and I basically just go to a few of their meetings and then they're running it. <laughs> oh, so somebody in the Dominican Republic is transforming their company to self-management? I am, but I'm here. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's easy. Or... It's easy because it's my father's company. Okay. <laughs> Disclaimer. Oh, okay. So okay. There's an owner that really entrusted me with it, right? Which is rare to find, of course. Um, so they've retired, and they had an issue with the general manager that they had there, and they said, "Why? Why don't you just do it?" And they self-manage, right? So that makes it easy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be too possible for me to do it like this. Um, this is your your Galician father, who met your mother in Paris who has yes. a company in the Dominican Republic. In, yes. Okay, yeah, it's perfectly- They now live in normal. Malaga. <laughs> and they live in Malaga. <laughs> okay, okay, this, this has been great, but before I sign off, is there anybody else, any other questions? Going once, going yes, once. Yes. Mark, Mark has a question. Can too. And can, can too. Can, go ahead. So I wanted to ask, what's the design for ongoing learning? Clearly, you're you're going to um, be handling one set of problems um, and transforming to a different set of problems, which they're going to be emergent. So, how do you um, develop the competency for people who are saying, "Okay, great, we've got this new way of doing business, and now we have a whole different raft of issues that are arising"? How do you build the the competence along there and capture that for yourself to feed it forward into your new core, into your new acquisitions? Yeah. In the companies, you mean, right? So, well, yes. it, I mean, we, we, we set up a system that allows for that, you know, and then off they go. Uh, and then uh, it evolves as, as it needs to evolve. So you just need to make sure that it's designed in a way that, that it's open for, for that learning to happen and that evolution to happen. For example, we always say that makes no sense to talk about purpose at the beginning. Let's first do the transformation because we're gonna, you're gonna start operating at a new paradigm and you're gonna see things differently. The people that are gonna get involved are gonna get involved with a different view. They're gonna understand a lot better the company. So there's no point in doing it first. Let's do it after, right? And then everybody is involved in, in those strategic conversations, right? But they, they are involved and they know, they understand the company. So, so that's oh, oh, what we do is, is set up a system that allows for this to happen. And then the magic happens. And it's kind of unpredictable, right? The sort of things that they're gonna come up with and where it's gonna go. You don't know. Now, um, it's also important the learning in terms of development, personal development for people to be ready for this and for people to be ready to lead this and to absorb this. And I think there's a lot of work that we need to do there in general, right, in, in the world, in society, where there's a lot of what we need to do from schools all the way to kind of retraining leaders um, because there needs to be a huge evolution, right? I think what my hypothesis is that this sort of implementations help accelerate the personal development that needs to happen worldwide, right? It's a hypothesis, hopefully, it's true. <laughs> I have but, evidence that you're right. I have evidence that you're right. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. With my oh, clients. Send it my way. <laughs> well, my clients, uh, when they go through a more uh, teal kind of legal process, actually grow up. And they, yeah. uh, and, and like they get more emotional intelligence because they've never right. had a chance to practice before. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it has an impact. It has an impact on everybody that's that's part of it right um and hopefully it's it accelerates enough of a speed right um so thank you very much to the end and good luck with Chris's and it's something that we all need in the world so bye bye so i think we did the last time i think we opened it up to questions and um 
leave a little bit of a gap. So if, if all the questions are bad, then we can cut them out. Uh, so, but if they're good, we'll leave them in. So, um, Kim, Kimberly, um, you got Mark, you yeah. guys have anything to... I have a question. Um, my observation is that as societies become more wealthy, self-employment goes down. Africa has 74% self-employed. Mexico has 32% self-employed. The U.S. only 7%. How do you explain this, this addiction to wage slavery that people so easily fall victim to? Uh, I, I think the more systematized we become, the more that force has become subtle. So if, if a couple of hundred years ago was all physical force, right? And, and, and we definitely rebelled against that. But I think we've gotten really good at telling people that what, you, what do you wanna do when you wanna grow up? Who are you gonna work for? Who will hire you? So when you've got a child at, at the age of 12 and everybody in their life is asking them, who are you going to be employed by? That's the mindset. That's the world that we live in, I think. And I think other countries still don't have that in the same level because their education system hasn't gone there, because their political system hasn't gone there. I mean, in our country today, whenever there's a bit of an issue, every politician turns to, we will create jobs. I mean, think about it, right? Everything, it doesn't matter what stripe, doesn't matter what, what, what their ideology is. The first thing they will go to is say, we will create jobs. So the idea that jobs are our savior has become so entrenched in our system that we think jobs are our savior. When in fact, as you've put it, it's wage slavery. So it's, it's, we've been taught to, to accept that force. Whereas other countries, to, to your point, Kimberly, and, and thank you for that point, because I think it's very valid. Other countries haven't successfully in conditioned their people to do the same. And so I think that, and I use technology and, and human technology as, as a, analogies. I think just like Africa was able to skip the landline part of, of evolution, I think they're going to skip this type of work evolution, right? They're going to jump that, that hurdle way before that. Kim? So um, this is part comment, and I, I, as, as I was listening, I started imagining playing these in 2045 and, um, and, 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 and comparing what we're saying now. Um, and, um, and so the piece that I wanted to add in and maybe Jose has a comment is um, uh, I've been hearing a lot about how after the pandemic, people are not going back to work. And um, in fact, I, there's a, um, uh, I wrote it down, Betsy Stevenson, who was the former chief economist of the US Department of Labor has been doing like the whole uh, circuit of news shows and everything and talking about that. That, that she sees it as a paradigm shift. And she's now, she's now a policy professor. Um, uh, and and, and you know, so she's, she's looking at these trends. And, and, and so it's like people say, well, you know, I've, I've had a taste of something else and I'm not going back. And so she's noticing that. So it partly comment, partly for his, historic um, purposes <laughs> and to support what you're saying, Jose, but you may, um, you may have more to say about it. Well, I, I think, I think that we forget how much these global experiences alter the trajectory of time. I mean, a hundred years ago, World War One altered the trajectory of time. We went from not having combustion engines to having combustion engines, and the World War One was a big part of that. And so we we changed, but. At the same time, we also had an epi uh, a pandemic then too, which also changed how people saw things. So I think that 
what we're experiencing with COVID is one of those things that helps make this paradigm shift a reality. It's, it's, it changes people's worldview as part of what I was saying earlier. So I think that's absolutely right, Kim. And I think that's a beautiful observation that, that we are seeing something manifest in part because we have the time to feel it. And before we've never had the time to feel it. And one, one uh, small correction is, is people don't want to go back to the office, to the corporate office. They've been working along. In fact, they're working more at home now or away from the corporate office uh, than, than they've done the whole life. So to your point, they felt more of what it was like to work in, a, in an environment that was mostly your own. Um, although not everybody has had that opportunity. There's a few of us have had it and we feel very privileged, but, um, um, but it's going back to, to the office, not to work, they've been working. So, uh, M Mark, did you have, do you want to jump in? Yep. There was a world game that was set up in San Francisco, uh, by the people from Carbondale, Illinois. <clears throat> One of the guys there, uh, talked about a revelation that he had had he'd been looking at what we all shared in terms of our experience the young ones of us growing up in media you know for the first time we'd grown up with television and these shows that we'd all watched and all gotten into COVID has done something like that for you know more than half the population in a way yeah. we're we're now hanging out on each other's digital couch yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, we're right. Now, and we're now able to jump onto each other's little, you know, gathering by the by what we used to do in the 60s by the bonfire. We're now doing online and we're yep. doing it globally. And yep. we now have the average individual. I mean, we're having this conversation on Zoom. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're doing it across this, the United States. And, and we could be doing it across this, this globe. And it's us. We don't have a corporation to be able to do this. It's yeah. us. It's us as individuals. And we are not digital natives. We're right. Brought with that. <laughs> brought up with that. In, in no, our, we're brought in up the with day. the getting together, the hanging out with the bonfire. And we recognize the parallel as we experience it. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the, to me, that's the obvious part is that we have these parallels that we can look at, right? History does not repeat, right? It doesn't repeat oh, right. exactly, but it echoes itself, right? Yeah. And it, it it's, we're doing the same thing today we did a hundred years ago in a slightly different aspect. I think the technology of work, and it is a technology, work isn't a real world thing. And we think of it as it is. We say, well, I need to work and work as an employee-based relationship with an employer and all that kind of stuff. That's a technology. And we don't think of it. We, we think of it as just the way the world is. It's not nature. And all technologies evolve. And it is time for this technology to evolve. Right. That's all there is to it. And, and I think it's whether we are here to do it or somebody else is here to do it, this technology is coming to an end as we know it. And a new one will emerge. And, and how that comes about, I think that's the glory of, of the work that we're doing is to, to be the ones that help to point the finger at what's emerging. And so one of the things we can do to help it happen is to learn to recognize it. And, not, and it's not a learning going outside our experience. It's just, oh yeah, I know that. That's, that's a variation. That's the same thing, but they're doing it over in that space or they're doing that over in that space. Exactly. And exactly. when we know that, 
then we can also start mapping that and saying, these are all the people who are playing together. And all of a sudden we become a network, a fully resourced network instead of a bunch of people and our six friends. And I, yeah, and I think, uh, I think that's the role of, of 2045. If we have these conversations where we should have them, which is out in public, and with the folks that we should have them, which is the people that are involved in this in this movement, uh, in these movements, um, then we will be able to do that. Because if it's the system that we've built that causes us to think that we need work, and causes us to fear not being employed, and causes us to fear losing our home and losing our our whatever, then that's not the mind as much as it is the force that's been applied on that mind and causes it to believe and react to that. Yes, I believe that the human mind does have those needs that you've just described, but those needs manifest themselves different in a different paradigm. And I think that the paradigm that we're talking about is not going to be a mainstream paradigm for a very long time, but it will be a paradigm that exists alongside the current paradigm. And as young people grow up in this new paradigm, as they are today, growing up in this new paradigm, to some degree, I think that they will be able to see that new world in a way that they don't see it. They won't be worried about, will I get employed? Will I, you know, will somebody pay for me to survive in the way that I survive? I will figure out ways to live on less. I will figure out ways to be more sustainable. I will figure out ways to collaborate with my colleagues. And when I do, then I won't need the McMansion and therefore I won't need the job that keeps the McMansion. And I won't need that ego stroke that requires that I need the McMansion. So I think that we're talking about not a transition from the current mindset inside the current mindset, but the evolution of a new mindset outside of the one that we're in. Elon Musk is living in a $50,000 manufactured house. The, one of the world's richest men is living in a, is soon to be only owning a, a, a 375 square foot home. And oh, he doesn't own it, he rents it. That, I think, is that mindset, Kimberly. The, the second richest man in the world today has chosen to, to show the world that he doesn't want to own a McMansion anymore. Wow, that's awesome. He had five or six of them. He has sold them all or is in the process of selling them all and is going to be living in this rental little tiny home of 375 square feet. That's what Great. the kids well, are looking at. I love at. the vision that you have, and I, I would love to support that transition to that way of thinking. And I do hope my, my dad couldn't imagine self-employment, right? And I couldn't imagine employment anymore. So, I But, but I, I think, Kimberly, that those questions are important because it is human nature that is going to drive this change. But it's human nature at the root of human nature rather than human nature within the, the swamp that we live in. And we look at human nature in this swamp, I 100% agree with you. And here we are, you know, four crazy people talking about something that we wouldn't be able to have a conversation 100 years ago. It would be impossible to have this conversation. Never mind the technology and all of that other stuff. Just the fact that we have the time in the middle of the day to be having this conversation. And we're not working in some sweatshop 12 hours. There are certain things we need to do as a system that we can't just leave it up to individual choice, right? And you know, part of it is education, right? How do we educate people to the impact of our choices on our own lives, our communities, our families, and the world? You know, we're doing a terrible job of educating people about how to think about complex interdependent systems. Absolutely. But we're also uh, doing a bad job of educating people 
away from thinking the things and feeling the things that they already do, right? You've got a young kid in Greta Thornburg who knows and feels the, the reality of our situation. She didn't get taught that. That wasn't our system. If anything, our system prevents, prevents us from doing that. Einstein was asked, what was his biggest hurdle with education? The fact that people tried to teach him instead of him learning. I don't know if you know about Design for Change. There's a Design for Change world. And I'm, uh, I'm interacting with Design for Change Singapore. They teach kids between the age of three and teenagers how to use design thinking to tackle some of the biggest challenges of the world. And these kids tackle things like uh, racial injustice and gender inequity and things like that. So when you give the tools to these kids, they've taught 80,000 kids all over the world yeah. design thinking, and they choose to tackle social challenges like that. So, yeah, so I, I, give, I think that the next generation might be our hope for the future. It is it's going to take as long as evolution takes. And that's my fear because I'm going to die before that. <laughs> I'd like to see some of that happen before. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that, that is a central question to, to the things that we're talking about is if we're talking about on this side of, like you said, we're privileged where we have the time in the middle of the day to do this. Um, what about people who, who are not people who haven't made it there? People who are just starting people who are super happy to get an unpaid internship. I, I've been following all these young uh, people in technology, and and, um, and that's the thing that they're most concerned with. So if you talk to him, them about that, some percentage of them will go along with it, but the, I think the majority of them will still choose to take the unpaid internship and stuff like that. So that jump, when I ask you, how do you think this is going to happen? And the reason I said it is it's, it's an easy answered what I had in mind was there is no answer that's the easy answer there's no answer um, because we don't I don't I don't know how to go from here to there in a straight line I just have no idea yeah uh, that's because it doesn't go in it that what we do what I do know and I do feel in my bones is that if we don't get there if we start moving in that direction is going to kill us Mother Earth will get tired of us and go, off you go. Let's start with dinosaurs again and start, you know, the chickens will take over and, and like that. Um, not our chickens, the other chickens. The, the, um, the, the, not this chicken. The other no, not this chicken. So, so um, but that is, that is a question that every person with good intention asks. How do I make a jump without given in my house or given in my if i'm the entrepreneur putting everything into this business how do i not tell people what to do to make my my dream come true because i put all you know, i'm the only one taking risks here and that's the thinking and and it's a damn hard question hope we can have more conversations like this conversations change reality Before.